say that she answered it the way I wanted her to answer it. I would go to her left side. So if I was like, hey, mom, I really want this shirt, I'd go to her right side. But if I was like, hey, mom, a bunch of my friends are getting together later and they asked me to hang out, she'd be like, yep. And I'd be like, yep, you heard me. Let's go, right? So it, it meant another thing in our family growing up, and that was that we had a lot of really funny misunderstandings. And my mom will totally own up to it and tell all these stories, right? We had a lot of really weird, really funny misunderstandings because she just didn't catch all of what was being said. And so sometimes we would be at dinner with family and afterwards my mom would be driving home and she'd be like, Caitlin, did they say what I think they said? And I'd be like, well, what do you think they said? And she'd say, and I'd be like, no, that is not what was said at all. The other thing that would happen is commercial. So there was this Old Navy commercial in the 90s that was a commercial for Old Navy drawstring pants and it had this whole jingle that went along with it in the classic 90s imagery and so we're watching it one day with my mom and it's me my mom my dad and my grandma and the commercial goes on and at the end of the commercial my mom goes that is so terrible we're like what drawstring pants and she's like that is just I can't believe that they actually allowed that commercial to be shown and we're like mom what do you think they said and she's like they called him old lady drawstring pants. Like anyone can, those aren't just for old ladies. That's so offensive, right? And we had to say, no, no, no. They said old navy drawstring pants. And to this day, it's one of our favorite stories. Now, one of the things that I've learned as the daughter of a mom with a hearing loss is that you don't actually have to have a hearing loss to not always catch what's being said, right? Uh, there's this story that goes in our house that the whole time I was growing up, my parents would always say to me, and I used to find it really offensive, and now I find it funny. They would say, do you even live here? Because like they would be talking about something, I'd be like, so-and-so's on a cruise, and they're like, Caitlin, we've talked about it for three weeks, do you live here? And I'm like, well, yeah, but I apparently haven't been listening all this time at dinner, right? Uh, you don't have to look at the person next to you, but I'm sure there have been moments when you're like, I know we have talked about this before, and I know I've been very clear about it, but you're acting like this, I know some of you are trying to avoid the eye contact right now, but you're acting like this is the first time you have ever heard about this. And I know I've said it. And this doesn't even just happen at home. How many of you guys, you can show, show hands here. How many of you guys in the workplace have these moments when you're like, I know we have talked about this. And I know that when we talked about it, we have been very clear. And we've talked about it for months and you've seen the plans and you've gotten the emails and you're acting like this is the first time you've ever heard about this. I mean, there are so many times in my own life where I'll be in the middle of a conversation. You can raise your hands for this one too. Do you ever realize that you just actually weren't listening for the last few minutes? Like for me, it's always driving. I'm, how many of you guys are car talkers? Like you have to be talking in the car when you drive. So I'm a car talker. So I'll call my mom and I'll realize that I've like just totally been zoning out and looking at Christmas lights, right? Like there's been no acknowledgement in my brain of what's actually being said. I mean, it is really hard for us to listen. We like to pretend like we're really good listeners. And some of you guys may, might be really good listeners, but I think most of us are actually much worse listeners than we actually think that we are. So as I was getting ready for today's message, as we continue on with our Minnesota Ice series, talking about how we can actually start to become the type of neighbors that draw people into community, I listened to this TED Talk. It's by a guy. His name's Julian Treasure, and he studies sound and advises businesses on how to use sound better, a job I never even knew existed. And he said this, he said, we spend roughly 60% of our communication listening, which is probably a much lower number than some of us even thought, 60% of our communication listening, but we retain just 25% of what we hear. 
And that's not even just when we're listening to learn something or when we're listening at work. That happens when we're listening at home or when we're listening at the grocery store, wherever we might be. We retain just 25% of the things that we hear. And he says this is because of a few different reasons. Uh, For one, we now have audio and video recording. And so if you miss something, which I often do when I'm watching Netflix, what can you do? You can just rewind it and catch it again. Secondly, the world that we live in is incredibly noisy. There's a lot of sound bites coming at us from a lot of different angles, and it makes it really hard for us to listen. It especially, and I didn't write this in my notes, it especially makes it hard for us to listen when we hear something that we maybe disagree with because we know there's a source where we can agree with it, right? It makes it so hard to listen. The world is incredibly noisy. So in a world in which sound bites rain our conversations and our ability to listen beyond the noise is becoming harder and harder with every passing year, how can we actually listen with care so that we can be a blessing to our neighbors? Because here's the thing, I think we all know what it feels like to not be heard. I think we all know what it feels like in our relationships or in our homes or in our workplaces or just in our community to feel like I'm saying something so loudly and people just aren't hearing what I'm saying. And if you felt that way, I can guarantee there's somebody else in your life that feels that way a lot. And so how can we listen with care to be a blessing with our neighbors? Well, whether you are exploring faith for the first time and this is new to you or you've been growing in your faith for years, there's one thing that you should know about God and it's that God is an excellent listener. And being made in the image of God, which scripture tells us we are, means that God is inviting us and calling us to capture this beautiful way that he listens with care to us. Well, today's passage that we're going to dive into, if you have your Bible with you, comes to us from the book of Acts. And it's this book that we're actually exploring at Bethel coming this next week that that talks about these very beginning foundations of the churches. That when this church was so ignited by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and they were like, the whole world has to know this story, this book tells about the actions that followed as they tried to talk to a noisy world about something that they knew was true and real and absolutely life-changing. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. It's a story about this man named Philip and an unnamed Ethiopian eunuch that he encounters on the road. You see, Philip, he was one of the seven men that was selected in the early church to care for the widows. We talked about this story uh, just this past week at Bethel. There was this story where uh, the, the Hebrew uh, or the, the Jewish Christians were doing the food get offerings for the city, and they were making sure that all the widows had enough food. And the Greeks came to them, and they said, our widows are being overlooked. They're not being fed enough. And they listened, and they elected seven people to go out and feed these widows. And Philip was one of the seven. And the eunuchs, historically, they served this really important role in royal households. They were actually entrusted with the inner workings of the households of the kings, and they took care of the royal families at that time. They were trusted advisors to royal houses. Now, this conversation that we're about to read, it's unusual for a few reasons. The first one is these two men come from very different backgrounds. We have Philip, who's a Christian, who's recently converted and who's tasked for caring for widows, who's entrusted in the church, and then you have this Ethiopian eunuch, this, this person who lives within the royal households, who cares for the royal families, and who's been entrusted with some of the royal secrets. The second thing is that the fact that their paths crossed, it's geographically really weird. 
The Ethiopian eunuch is going from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, and Paul is coming from Samaria, Samaria, and he's heading southward. And I wish I had a map to show you, but those two paths would not have normally intersected. The fact that they even crossed paths is really strange. And then one commentary that I read said that this encounter that we're about to read, it might actually be one of the first accounts of a direct Gentile conversion. The story of what happened when these two men met on this road. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, we're going to read scripture together this morning. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go downward towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does this prophet say it? Does he say it about himself or does he say it about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down in the water and Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him. And when he came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. This passage has a lot to offer us when we learn about what it looks like to listen with care to our neighbors. From beginning to end, it's filled with this wonderful example of what it looks like when you give your life and give your moments over to God, when you invite God to lead and guide you into conversation with the people that are around you. So starting at the beginning of this passage, we learn something that's so important and so true. We learn that God goes before us to prepare the way for us to be a blessing. Last week, Chris began our bless. That's a note from the last time that I preached this. Um, last, so last week, we talked about what it looks like for us to love our neighbors well, right? And I encourage you that, that when you look at the statistics, so few people actually know any details about the people around them, right? I think it was something like 3% of people, when they've done this experiment, when they've gone around and they've asked people to get to know their neighbors, some can name their first names. Some can tell a little bit of stories of, oh, that's Mark. He works at a hospital. He goes to work at five in the morning. But 3% of people could actually tell any meaningful details about that person's life. They couldn't be like, oh, that's Mark. He goes to the hospital at five in the morning for work. And Mark actually works in the hospital because he lost his wife. Few people could actually get to that level where they knew any meaningful details about their neighbors. And I think it's true for all of us, right? Even when I think about it, and I shared with this last week, I live in an apartment building, there's six units, and I maybe know details about one person, and it's because we've gotten brunch together. 
and she's told me all of her stories. It's, it's a great story. She was a soap a- opera actress back in Los Angeles, and now she lives here, and she has a dog. And, you know, I, I know some details about my other neighbors. I know that one uh, owns a gym, and I know that his, his girlfriend, that she is a, uh, she's an interior designer. I know maybe some stories about the person in three because I've had them over for dinner before. I don't know anything about the person in two, and I know maybe basic details about the person in one. Because it is really hard for us to have these conversations where we actually get to a deeper level. So we see that in this, that God goes before us to prepare us to be a blessing to our neighbors. One quick story about that in my apartment building is uh, there was this night uh, not too long ago where me and my friend said, let's do a big Friendsgiving. You know, all of us kind of feel a little bit more comfortable right now. Let's, let's do this big Friendsgiving. Let's invite all of our friends from all these different walks of life, and let's just cook a really good meal. One of my friends, her, her love language is just like hospitality. Like she cooks a meal like nobody else, and she invites people into it. And that day, a few hours before, every single one of our friends dropped. And so it was just three of us. And I'm like, man, we have all this food. I mean, we had made like two platters of cornbread stuffing. We had made a whole turkey. We're like, what are we going to do? And so I'm like, hey, do you guys mind if I just go around and invite my neighbors? And so I went around and I knocked on the doors of people that were home and just said, hey, we're having this Friendsgiving. And we actually had a bunch of friends not show up. And so if you'd like to, you can come over. And one neighbor came. His name's Jamie. He actually, his, his son owns the building. And so he came, and I got to find out so much more about his life just because of that conversation. And he actually said, he's like, you know, I'm really glad that you invited me over. I actually hadn't eaten dinner yet. I mean, you don't get to explain moments like that other than a God story in the midst of it. Is it possible that our right time, right moment moments are actually evidence of a divine itinerary that was set before we were even aware of it? Is it possible that those very moments when a friend calls you exactly where you, when you need it, or when you run into a neighbor outside, or when a coworker drops by your office, is it possible that those moments might be evidence of divine itinerary? You see, if Philip hadn't been tuned into the Holy Spirit or responsive to his leading, would he perhaps never have approached the eunuch? If he hadn't been aware of God setting this divine course for him to actually change the direction that he was going to travel and had a different direction, he never would have even intersected with a eunuch. But because he was aware and listening for God's voice and wanting to be responsive to God's leading, this moment happened where somebody's entire life was changed. He says, this is part of the reason why when we think about loving our neighbors well, why it's so important that we begin with prayer and paying attention Because if we're sensitive to the working of the Spirit in our lives, if we lead with prayer and we listen to areas in which God may be guiding us forward, we will walk in the aftermath of the plan that he prepared for us well in advance. And we'll find ourselves more and more in those right time, right moment moments, those divine itineraries, when we have a situation in front of us that calls for grace-filled, gospel-centered conversations that bless the people around us. I mean, I work at a Christian university, and you'd be surprised by how many moments there are opportunities for me to actually pause and not talk business with somebody, but talk about faith. Or not talk about what we have to get done that day, but actually get to care for somebody, a a real human who's hurting and needs help. There may be times in the coming weeks when you feel prompted to pick up your phone and call a friend or a family member out of the blue, listen to them. 
There might be times when your neighbor is heading outside to the mailbox and you start heading out to the mailbox at the same time and you have an opportunity to actually talk to your neighbor. Listen to them. There might be a time when you and your coworker head towards the door at the same time. Listen to them. Or you might see somebody out in public, maybe you're grocery shopping or picking up an order, and you have an opportunity to actually have a conversation with another person. Listen to them. But I think we all know that this can also be scary, right? I mean, you look at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and it just seems so easy, right? I mean, he's walking along the road, and he's, he sees you reading Isaiah. Oh, we can, I can explain this to you. Let me baptize you. It looks so easy and so seamless. And I think all of us look at that, and we're like, it is never that easy, and it's never that seamless, is it? Because people are messy, and stories are hard, and people are going through some stuff. But here's one way that we can make this easier. When we listen with care, we listen for our invitation instead of planning our response. How many of you guys, and and I'm in the same boat, you're a response planner when people are talking, right? And then I get bummed out because all of a sudden someone will say something, I'm like, dang it, I missed the moment. Or you're like, "Ah, wait, no, now the conversation changed, so I can't say that, so now I have to rethink my response, right? What if instead of listening to think of our response, we listened for our invitation? That still small voice that says, I can connect to that story. I can offer some hope to that situation. In verse 29, it says this. It says, Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah. Having rehearsed exactly what to say in this situation, Philip pulled out his Bible tract, and he repeated five easy steps towards salvation plan that he had been practicing in his mirror for weeks. That's not actually what it says, right? It says, then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked him, Do you understand what you're reading? A simple question. He listened to the eunuch and he heard an invitation. This takes the pressure off of us. We don't need to have a perfectly timed response. We don't have to have perfectly written words to share the gospel. We don't have to have five easy steps towards salvation for someone. We don't have to have everything rehearsed and planned. We simply just need to take notice of the invitation that's being offered to us. You see, I think often our conversations, especially in this area, it leaves us trying to plan out what we can say next, right? Like what perfectly rehearsed thing can I say to you to convince you of truth in this moment or offer you grace in this moment? But what if instead of putting all that pressure on us, we actually just said, God, what's the invitation here? What's the next question I can ask? What's the next connection I can make? You see, listening with care, it involves us asking the right questions at the right moments. We see in the story that Philip asked the right question at the right moment, and we're invited to listen with care so that we can discern the next question we might ask. This has been a game changer for me in my personal spiritual life with other people. You see, so often I think, especially as somebody who has an MDiv and and has been a pastor and all that, I feel like I need to have the right answer right? Like the the right theological response, the right passage to point to. But you know what I've started doing instead is I've started asking the next question. If somebody's telling me about a hard situation that they're going through, maybe something that's happening in their marriage or in their family or at home, I'll say, and how are you feeling about all of this? Where do you sense God might be? Does God feel silent in this season for you? And I let them talk and share and wait for the next right moment to ask the next 
right question. You see, science actually says that we feel cared about most when people ask us questions about our own lives. I mean, I'm convinced that you could have an entire conversation with somebody where you don't offer any information about yourself, you just keep asking them questions, and they will walk away being like, that was a great conversation, (laughs) right? Even if sometimes we're like, that was a panicky, frustrating conversation, they'll walk away being like, I have never felt more cared for than by that person. You see, we ask questions that can lead to deeper conversations where we have an opportunity to share faith and hope. Some questions that I put in in my Rolodex that I'd offer to you are questions like this. I'm sorry that work has been hard. What keeps you grounded in the middle of all of this? It sounds like you've been dealing with a major illness lately. Where are you finding any hope or promise right now? You can ask questions that clarify, that lead, and that more importantly, just show you care and that you want to know a little bit more. Philip's questions, they allow him to go one step deeper with the eunuch. Listening with care, it also enables us to inject conversations with the hope of Jesus. You see, there's a difference between interjecting and injecting. Interjecting is making it really awkward. I think we've all been in those conversations, right? Injecting, though, is letting our conversations be what they should have been all along, which is filled with grace and filled with the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus We have an opportunity to inject our conversations with this. You see, Philip asking the eunuch if he understood what he was reading led to Philip being able to explain the passage in Isaiah, and the eunuch had no idea who the passage was about. But knowing that the passage was about Jesus, Philip didn't provide him with a simple answer, but instead he took the opportunity to open that passage of scripture for the eunuch, and then he told him the good news about Jesus starting from there. In our own conversations, We have opportunities to tell other people about the good news that Jesus offers us in the midst of our everyday normal lives. Conversations about loneliness, right, where we're having a conversation with somebody who feels lonely has an opportunity for us to tell them about the community that we found in Jesus, the community that we found in his church. Conversations about people who are experiencing pain enables us to share our own stories of how we've walked through that ourselves or with a loved one and the hope that we had to rely and lean on in the midst of that. And conversations where people just feel hopeless or like things will never change. Let us share our own stories of change and our own stories of Jesus transforming our lives and our marriages and our families and our kids and our workplaces. Listening with care often results in action items. You see, we see at the end of this story that after listening with Karen, having this conversation with Philip, they come up to the water and the eunuch's like, there's water. Why shouldn't I just be baptized right now? One commentary that I read said that the eunuch asking, why shouldn't I be baptized, might mean that the eunuch was actually expecting that Philip was going to give an objection, right? He's like, well, why shouldn't I? And he's waiting for Philip to be like, well, you shouldn't because we actually should wait. We should do it in a different water. But instead, the eunuch encounters a joyful Philip who says, I'm so ready to see your life forever changed. You're right. Why, why shouldn't we just do it right now? Why shouldn't we take this next step at the end of this conversation? You see, when we listen with care, our conversations often result in action items. They're these future conversations, these invitations, or these opportunities for us to just demonstrate our love. Sometimes it's as easy as we have a conversation with somebody and we realize that they're having a hard day. We're like, you know what? I could pick up coffee for them later and just drop it by. Sometimes we have a conversation with somebody and and they say, yeah, next week I have an appointment and and I don't know what the news is going to be. And it's an opportunity for us to put in our calendar a reminder to ask them 
next week how it went. An opportunity for us to care and follow up. I used to do a lot of funerals at ECC, and I did a lot of research then in that, in that time about funerals and about grieving and the grieving process, right? Because I was young, I wanted to do it right. And I found out that the loneliest time period after loss is six weeks after the end of the funeral. Because that's the time when they say that most cards and flowers and notes and phone calls have stopped or slowed down. What a great opportunity for us as the body of Christ to be able to set a reminder at our phone for six weeks out that we're going to start calling and following up again. Perhaps an action, action item for you is to follow up with a friend who's experienced loss and see how they're doing. You see, if you're talking to a coworker or a neighbor who's trying to figure out how to raise a teenager or they're experiencing anxiety, an important action item might be to say, hey, let me invite you into a community that can walk alongside you through all the hardness of this. We should expect that the conversations that we have, that they're not one-and-done experiences, but that they're potential opportunities to continue to be a listening ear for the community around us. You see, I'm convinced that Philip partially knew what to do in the situation because he had heard the teaching and the example of Jesus. He had heard about the Savior who, when he walked the earth in his, in his earthly presence, he held presence for other people to experience grace and hope and truth. I think so often about the story of Jesus with the woman at the well and that he just sat and he listened and he responded. And, and I think about that story in particular. I, I have a, a picture at home that actually has the verse on it. I think about that story of her going back to her community and saying, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. This man who freed me from shame enough to come back to you and invite you to come and be heard by him too. I think a lot about the story of Jesus, who, who, when the disciples were saying, Jesus, we're tired. Let's just take a break today. Let's go out in the water. And he sees the crowd waiting by the seaside. He gets back out of the boat, and he starts teaching and listening again. I think about the story of Jesus, who listened to the disciples even when they were wrong, and just listened and had opportunities to ask them questions or to redirect their lives back towards truth. You see, I think there is a way for us to be the type of neighbors that our neighbors long for the most. I, I think there's hope and there's truth to offer through the story of Jesus that helps us offer the hope and the truth that they long for the most. But all that starts with relationship. Not only knowing them, but being the type of person who can sit with them. I, uh, I read this book recently on evangelism. It's actually a little bit of an embarrassing story. So before I transferred to Bethel, I went to another school, and I was in InterVarsity there. Uh, and I really didn't like InterVarsity there, which feels like a really bad admission when you're like a pastor now, right? And, and so I just stopped going. But they had already given me the gift package. And so I didn't read any of the gift books because it felt kind of weird, right? But I kept them on my bookshelf. And there was this book on evangelism. And I never opened that book, I think, because it seemed really terrifying, like, oh, so I'm the new kid on campus. I'm a freshman. And you just expect me to go and evangelize to all these people that I don't know yet? And like, this feels scary. This feels absolutely terrifying. And, and at the time, I was in a sorority, and, and I know that was probably a right field for evangelism. And I was like, mm-mm. You expect me to go to the president? I'm going to end up getting in trouble, right? Like, I can't, I can't do this. And so I finally opened it really recently because I was like, free books. Let's read them, right? So I opened this book. It's called Growing Your Faith by Giving It Away. And, and they say this. They say, when we move from generalities to real people, we're more likely to act than if we think about the relationship on an abstract level. So that's the invitation I want to offer you this week. 
I already offered you the invitation to, to maybe start getting to know your neighbors. But when you think about your neighbors this week, don't think about your neighbors. Think about Jerry who lives next door. When you think about your coworkers this week, don't think about your coworkers. Think about Sharon who's your office admin. When you think about your community this week, don't think about your community. Think about Carrie who works at Starbucks. Start thinking about people in specific terms and start having conversations with them. Now, I'm an extrovert, so I know it might be easy for me to say, but I think that there's even opportunities for introverts to learn how to listen well. In fact, I think the introverts in my lives might be much better listeners sometimes than I am. And so I think there's an opportunity for all of us, no matter how God has wired us, to just take a step back and listen to people and ask good questions. And I think the hope comes out of the end of this story, right? That after this time listening and explaining what the scriptures meant, you have this eunuch who says, why shouldn't I in this very moment, why shouldn't I be baptized? Why shouldn't I take my next step? And that next step for you guys might not be at the end of a conversation. It might be three weeks later or a month later. But there's always opportunities for us to then say to somebody, hey, why not take the next step? Why not come and join us on a Sunday? Why not come over and, and I can just pray for how you're doing? Why not come and join my small group? Hey, why not? Why not take the next step and get to know Jesus a little bit better? And there might be people who say to you, why shouldn't I just take the next step? Why shouldn't I take the next step? Well, when I was finishing my master's, I, uh, I had the opportunity to mentor some students in, in a program that Bethel has. It's called the Ministry Scholars. It's a, a five-year uh, bachelor's to master's. So they're these highly motivated students who really feel called into ministry, some of them in very different spaces. And we had this opportunity to sit and mentor them. Uh, and the group that I had was absolutely incredible and super diverse, right? There was a girl that now is a yoga teacher. Another one works in admissions. Another one's a pastor's wife. And another one's going to seminary. So it's this very diverse group of girls. And we would all sit together. And each time that we got together, it was always like a little bit awkward because everyone was so different, right? And people were kind of like trying to trying more, to, I think, to, to be heard sometimes than to really listen sometimes. And so our group was just kind of like not feeling really deep. And so I went to the person who mentors me and I said what do I do and she said hit him with this question and so I did so we sat down at lunch together once and I said is there anything in your life right now that's caused you to wonder what what God might be doing awkward silence and I'm like oh no and and immediately my brain's like interject the silence let's break it never mind let's move on right but I'm like you know what I'm gonna sit in the silence I'm gonna sit and wait and hear and eventually these girls started telling these stories about things that were happening in their life or things that had happened over the past year, things that were happening at home or, or dreams they were having about their future. And it created one of the deepest moments we had ever had as a group because I chose to embrace the silence and wait for God to speak in and through them. Now, I'm not saying that you need to hit your neighbors or your coworkers with the question of what's God doing in your life. It might not be your best strategy, but you can ask, how are you doing this morning? And when they say good, you can say, are you really? You see, there's so many times that, that I try to hit that follow-up question, and it's sort of just in passing, that I just want to like stop and hold someone and just say, actually, tell me how you're doing, because that's more important than us getting to this meeting right now. Or there's going to be opportunities with your neighbors when you see them out, and, and maybe they used to have a dog, and they're not walking their dog anymore. And you can say, hey, I noticed you're not walking your dog anymore. What's the story? 
or there's going to be opportunities maybe where you're driving through the Starbucks line and you notice it's really, really busy. And you have an opportunity just to say, hey, I noticed it's busy today. How are you doing? How are you guys? There's opportunities all over for us to listen with care and for us to listen for the Spirit to speak in the middle of it. And imagine the types of stories that you get to hear, and more importantly than just hear, the amount of stories you'd get to be a part of. The stories of somebody's life and the way that God transformed it, all because you listened. That's part of being a good neighbor.